Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Ukraine will most likely stage a tactical withdrawal from the city of Bakhmut. But I do think uh, from both sides, actually, both Ukraine and Russia, it's almost symbolic. Emails show that Dr. Anthony Fauci funded a story to cover up a COVID lab leak theory. It's going to put people on the record saying, yeah, there, there was a cover-up. Economists say it's still too early to say the economy will have a soft landing. I'd say I'm encouraged, but it would be a big mistake to think that we were out of the woods. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast. Your first look at today's top stories for Tuesday, March 7th. I'm Mike Scott. Conflicting reports are emerging from the ongoing war in Ukraine, as some seem to suggest that Ukrainian forces may be considering a tactical withdrawal from the eastern city of Bakhmut. This charred and ruined city is being called hell on earth as Russian-backed forces desperately try to encircle it. But Ukraine refuses to back down in running street battles against the ruthless mercenary Wagner Group, who are also trying to capture two main supply roads that are gateways to nearby towns like Chasib Yar. This once sleepy town is now a garrison town, and... When or if Bakhmut falls, this is next. Meanwhile, a Ukrainian commander shot down reports of a retreat, saying that there were no decisions or orders regarding a withdrawal, but went on to describe the fighting in Bakhmut to be, quote, very much like hell, end quote. Former U.S. Joint Chiefs Chairman Mike Mullen says that Ukraine's withdrawal from Bakhmut is not as significant as the losses that the Russian military is taking. I don't think strategically in terms of the progress on the ground that it's overly significant. But I do think uh, from both sides, actually, both Ukraine and Russia, that it, uh, it, it provides, uh, it's almost symbolic. And it's been six or seven months that uh, the Ukrainians have been fiercely defending uh, Bakhmut. Uh, and it's also been obviously that long that the Russians have, have uh, been attacking it. And one of the things that uh, is just a fact is because of the effort uh, in defense, uh, the Russians have expended a tremendous amount of uh, resources. They've lost thousands and thousands of soldiers. Uh, they've lost an enormous amount of equipment. Uh, and so whether tactically uh, it's a huge uh, gain or loss on the ground, I think in terms of impact of the war, it's had a significant impact on what Russia can do. Mullen explains that even if Ukraine withdraws from Bakhmut, in the long run, 
the Ukrainian forces will be in a much better position. Viewing the, the photographs of the rubble that uh, Bakhmut has become, which I think is what Putin is trying to do across the country, to ruin as much of the country as possible, you know, it will have its effect. That said, uh, those losses that we described earlier with the Russians are typical of their inability to fight. Uh, and I think one of the things, to your point about the counteroffensive, when it comes in the spring, uh, we will find the Ukrainian uh, military much more capable of what we call combined arms training. The coordination of, of air, artillery, armor, they will have much more armor available to them, if you will, in the Bradleys and the strikers that are over there. And so I think in the, in the long run, it puts Ukraine in a much better position. Trouble south of the U.S. border. Four Americans are kidnapped in Mexico. As we hear from Daybreak Insiders, Donna Warder. The FBI says the four U.S. citizens had entered Matamoros, Mexico, Friday from Brownsville, Texas. They were traveling in a white minivan with North Carolina license plates when the FBI says gunmen opened fire on the vehicle. The FBI says the Americans were placed in a vehicle and taken away by armed men. The FBI is offering a $50,000 reward for the return of the four kidnapped. Matamoros is home to warring factions of the Gulf drug cartel and the U.S. consulate has issued an alert about the danger. I'm Donna Warder. According to recently released emails uncovered from the House Republican investigation into the origins of COVID-19, Dr. Anthony Fauci seems to have commissioned a scientific study to purposefully debunk the hypothesis that COVID-19 escaped from a lab in Wuhan, China. We have new evidence in the investigation of the origins of COVID-19. Emails revealing Dr. Anthony Fauci commissioned a February 2020 paper to discredit the, that the virus leaked out of the lab in Wuhan, China. A memo from the committee read, in part, new evidence released by the select subcommittee today suggests that Dr. Fauci prompted the drafting of a publication that would disprove the lab leak theory. Ohio Representative Jim Jordan says that the emails show that virologists believe that COVID was leaked from a lab all along. So right at the get-go, Dr. Fauci gets an email from Dr. Christian Anderson, which says virus looks engineered, virus not consistent with evolutionary theory. The next day, he gets another email from Dr. Gary. Now, these are doctors he's handed out our tax dollars to over the years. Dr. Gary's email says, I don't know how this happens in nature. It would be easy to do in a lab. That same day, February 1st, 2020, all these other virologists, they get on there, and three days later, everybody changes their story. According to reports on February 1st, of 2020. Fauci held a call with several virologists to discuss the origins of COVID. The scientists suggested that the virus may have originated from a lab. However, three days later, four of the experts who attended that meeting drafted a research document, which was forwarded to Dr. Anthony Fauci upon completion for editing and approval. Ed Morrissey is host of The Ed Morrissey Show and managing editor of HotAir.com. He joined the Salem Radio Network and says that the hearings on COVID will get people to go on the record 
and admit there was a cover-up regarding the origins of COVID. It's going to put people on the record saying, yeah, there, there was a cover-up. And the cover-up began right away. I mean, Jim Jordan's talking about this. The New York Post reported that uh, Anthony Fauci ordered a SNAP study to conclude that this was a naturally evolving version of a virus so that they could go out. And this is in February 2020, right? right? This is right after he got those emails from those two scientists commissioned a study, and then sometime in March, I forget what it was, the uh, Post has the sequencing on this, basically goes, holds a, I think it was early April, holds a a press conference in early April saying, oh, we have a study that shows that that this was natural evolution of this virus, and we can can make the study authors available to you. Uh, I didn't have anything to do with this study. It's an independent study. It's nonsense. He actually emails that Jim Jordan's committee is now uh, making public, shows that Fauci commissioned the study specifically to come to the conclusion that it wasn't an engineered virus. Morrissey explains why he believes the government tried to cover up the origins of COVID-19. This has been a cover-up, and the reason for the cover-up, Dwayne, is that in December 2017, Francis Collins, who is head of the NIH, yep. countermanded a ban on gain-of-function re- funding, gain-of-function research, U.S. funding for gain-of-function research, that had been in place since 2014. After the Cambridge Working Group basically predicted exactly what happened in this, in this pandemic, is that it would uh, lab leaks are not uncommon, pathogens escape, and if you're doing gain-of-function research on viruses like this, the likelihood is that they would be wildly transmissible and create global pandemics. Morrissey goes on to say that, in his opinion, Fauci is trying to escape accountability. Less than two years after Francis Collins uh, ended that moratorium on funding for gain-of-function research, we had a global pandemic. Exactly the way the Cambridge Working Group killed millions of people. And so you had Collins, who lifted the gain-of-function research, you had Fauci, who was using grant money to fund it. These two guys were still in charge when this happened, and they were trying to keep from being accountable for this pandemic. Now, I don't think that they maliciously started a pandemic, but they're incompetent. And what happened was that they covered up their incompetence, and the media went along with it, and the government went along with it, both in the Trump and in the Biden administration. Totally agree. In the past couple of weeks, the Department of Energy assessed that COVID most likely did originate from a lab leak. That, according to a classified intelligence report. The FBI arrived at the same conclusion with moderate confidence in 2021, according to declassified intelligence reports. The D.C. City Council is scrambling to reverse changes to its criminal code to prevent Republicans from passing and sending to President Biden a resolution officially disproving any part of the new law. Daybreak Insider's Capitol Hill correspondent Bob Agnew has more on this development in the nation's capital. Daybreak Insider's Bob Agnew has more on this developing story in the nation's capital. What began as an effort by D.C. to soften its crime law has become a political chess match between President Biden and Senate Republicans, who this week are expected to pass a resolution of disapproval of the new D.C. laws. Republicans have mustered the votes to pass their resolution and send it to the president, who has already said he won't veto it despite his support of the D.C. crime bill and D.C.'s right to home rule. Now admitting defeat, the D.C. Council is seeking to reverse its own new rule before Republicans can vote to reject it. 
Bob Agner reporting. Atlanta police have charged 23 people with domestic terrorism after a violent clash with police outside Atlanta's future public safety training facility. Reporter Ryan Bass breaks down what we know of the attack. There has been months of tension between authorities and activists here at what's nicknamed Cop City, the proposed 85-acre, $90 million training facility that's supposed to be built here behind me for police and firefighters. But again, as you mentioned, there's been a lot of controversy over the site, many saying that this facility is going to be used as a breeding ground for military-style tactics and also violence. Now, there have been clashes with police, as you mentioned, including 35 people arrested here yesterday with more protests planned for this week. Bass also says that most of the protesters that have been charged aren't even from Georgia. Atlanta police released the names of the 23 arrested, and all but two of them are from out of the state of Georgia. Two others are listed as from out of the country, France and Canada. This is the latest clash between police and protesters over the Atlanta Police Foundation's proposed complex, dubbed by some as Cop City, just south of downtown. Police are accusing the group of leaving a nearby music festival, changing into black clothing, setting fire to construction equipment, and attacking officers, using the cover of a peaceful protest at the site to launch the coordinated attack. Chief Darren Sheerbaum says that violence, like what was experienced, will not be tolerated. Actions such as this will not be tolerated. When you attack law enforcement officers, when you damage equipment, you are breaking the law. Sheerbaum states that the protest was not peaceful at all. This was a very violent attack that occurred this evening. Very violent attack. This wasn't about a public safety training center. This was about anarchy. Georgia Attorney General Christopher Carr says that his state is not like Oregon and violent protesters will be held accountable. 23 of the individuals uh, arrested, charged with domestic terrorism, which in the state of Georgia is when you use violence in order to damage infrastructure or property and the, the attempt to change public policy. That's a, a state law and uh, one that we will continue to use. Uh, but of the 23, only two were from the state of Georgia. Others came from Massachusetts and New York and Colorado, and we had one from Canada and one from France. But the bottom line is this, you cannot come to this state, you can't throw Molotov cocktails at police officers, you can't light uh, construction vehicles on fire, you can't shoot police officers and not be held accountable. This isn't Oregon, this isn't Washington, this is the state of Georgia, and you will be held accountable. Carr explains that the site won't just train police, it will train other first responders as well. Saying Cop City is a little bit uh, uh, deceptive because what this public safety training center will do is train firefighters and first responders and police officers, uh, those folks that we need in the most critical times in our lives. And when you look at what was uh, discussed, particularly coming out of the summer of 2020, social uh, unrest that we had, there were folks on the left talking about defunding the police. There were others talking about the need for better trained law enforcement. That's what our community responded, went through the democratic process. In fact, it was a part of the mayoral race here in Atlanta, but that was the public policy decision after an airing, and we decided to move forward. Mm -hmm. Those that disagree, if you want to stand on the courthouse steps or the sidewalk and disagree with it, that's fine. But that's not what's occurring here. People are coming from around the country and from the state of Georgia engaging in violence. Right. The FBI Atlanta office weighed in on the violent incident Monday afternoon, pledging to work alongside state and local partners to determine if any federal statutes had been violated. 
No officers were injured in that confrontation. Former Secretary of the Treasury Larry Summers is warning that even though it appears as though the U.S. economy is strong, the risk of falling into a recession is still large. In February, the Fed Policymaking Committee approved a quarter-point interest rate hike, its smallest increase in several months. However, after the meeting, the economy was given a string of what appears to be good news with job gains. But inflation still remains stubborn. Summer says bringing down inflation is proving to be very hard. I've said often that soft landings are, as Samuel Johnson said of second marriage, the triumph of hope over experience. But from time to time, hope does triumph over experience. So it looks more possible that we'll have a soft landing than it did uh, a few months ago. My continued fear, though, is exactly the one that you describe, that we had a set of uh, inflation indicators during 2022 that were very strong that have now come back to earth, but they're still too high. They're still unimaginably high from the perspective of two or three years ago, and that getting the rest of the way back to target inflation may still prove to be uh, quite difficult. So I'd say I'm encouraged, but it would be a big mistake to think that we were out of the woods. Summers also took time to address the jobs numbers and how he believes that the way Americans approach work is changing in the aftermath of COVID. I think there's definitely a kind of grand reassessment uh, going on after COVID about how hard people want to work and how much they want to work and how much they want to be uh, part of hierarchies. You don't get to be a CEO if you don't love being in the office. And so CEOs want all their people to uh, come back and be working. But lots of people like their dens better than they like their cubicles. And for those people, they're going to decide to work intermittently, to not work as many uh, hours, in some cases to leave working to uh, their partner. So I definitely think we've got a great reassessment on. And my guess is that uh, it's not going to change uh that uh, that much. I think if people were going to go back to work when benefits ran out, they would have already gone back to work. Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell has cautioned that bringing down inflation will take a significant period of time, while other Fed watchers have indicated that the Fed will be open to a larger interest rate hike. Republicans in Congress are ready to smack down President Biden's forthcoming federal budget. Daybreak Insider White House correspondent Greg Clugston has more on this developing story. The budget won't be unveiled until Thursday, but the president hinted in a Monday speech that tax increases on the wealthy will be included. We can make all these improvements and still cut the deficit if we start making people 
pay fair share. The White House hopes that fairness message resonates with voters. Right now, though, the Republican majority in the House opposes most of the president's ideas. They plan to highlight the tax increases. Greg Clugston, Washington. Scientists in the U.K. and Australia say they've discovered a new disease in wild birds. It's caused solely by plastics. More on this from our correspondent, Electra Naismith. Scientists have called the new disease plasticosis, and it's caused by small pieces of plastic inflaming the bird's digestive tracts. The persistent irritation scars and deforms tissue, leaving the bird struggling to digest food and vulnerable to infection. The team say other materials in birds' guts, like pumice stones, don't have the same effect, and the more plastic the birds ingest, the more serious the damage. The OECD says plastic production has doubled globally over the last 20 years, More than 20% is left to pollute the planet. And finally, what seemed like a small act of kindness from an Ontario woman has changed the life of a homeless man forever. It's become a ritual. Every day, Brian Bannister's new employer, Danielle McDuff, picks him up and gives him a lift to his new job on her farm. Ready? Yep. From here, it's a quick zip out to the barn where Brian cleans stalls and feeds goats, the big ones and the little ones. It's work the six-year-old never saw coming. Three weeks ago, Brian was unhoused, living in a shed. In his life, he overcame addiction, survived abuse and lost two wives, one in a crash, the other to cancer. Over the past two years, he says he'd given up before this offer. Their story begins here, outside the drugstore in town. Brian was reading and collecting change. Danielle decided to talk to him. That conversation lasted 25 minutes, and Danielle invited Brian to work on the farm the next day. This partnership has become life-changing. After two years without a haircut, Danielle took Brian to the barber, helped him get a phone, provincial supports, and involved the community, raising money so Brian has food, clothes, and a hotel room to sleep. They are even eyeing a permanent room for him to live nearby. After tending to the goats, it's on to feed the cows and check on the horses before arrest, then back at it tomorrow. Brian Bannister can't believe that anyone would really care about him. It floored me. It just came from the heart with her. And I got to thank her every day. Danielle McDuff doesn't regret giving Bannister a chance and says he fits right in on her farm. He's just so kind, compassionate. He is amazing with my children, my animals, my staff, and his willingness to help me here on the farm, which is very, very much appreciated because it's not easy. (laughs) McDuff states that Bannister has changed her life for the better as well. He has no idea what this has done for me. I've always tried to help when I can. It's it's not just about the money. Some people need to just talk. And if we could get everybody off the street, ideally, that would be my one wish. But it takes a lot of people to come together. And that's what has happened for Brian. The friendship that grew over time between the two Ontarians led McDuff to set up a GoFundMe to help Brian get back on his feet, which raised nearly $10,000 Canadian. 
and was able to help him get his first shave and a haircut in two years, as well as a new phone. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider Podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at SRNNews.com and TownHall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott. 